Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome home. This is Tracy, and we want to thank you for being a part of the Life Together podcast. Before we get into this week's teaching, we want you to know that you matter to God and you matter to us. Life Together is a Wednesday evening gathering for worship, Bible study, and community here at Oak Creek Assembly of God in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. If I can just pull back the curtain here and share a little bit about the process that me and Mandy go through whenever we're planning out sermons, we'll sit down together and we'll think about the preaching calendar for the year, we'll pray about what are the topics we feel like we should talk to, and one of the rules that we have is a rule that is based solely on my attention span. So I have a very short attention span, and so I've made this arbitrary rule that I will never do a series longer than eight weeks. And so I know there's other preachers who are more talented than I, who can go longer series and do a great job, but I just can't. And so eight weeks is my limit, and I want to let you know that you are currently sitting in the eighth week of our series, which means you have now sat through the longest preaching series I will ever do. So congratulations. You should award. And I, and I, feel, like, I feel like the occasion should allow us to take a moment and do a quick recap, but I want to play a game as we do it. So here's the game. You have to keep your own score as we go through the game, and we're going to start with week one. So on day one, we talked about rebuilding your purpose. We watched Nehemiah discover that he wasn't just a cupbearer to an earthly king. He was a son of a heavenly king and that he had a kingdom-centric purpose and that every one of us who are in Christ have a kingdom-centric purpose. If you remember, even in a vaguest sense, that you were here when I preached that sermon, would you put a, a number one on your finger and give yourself your first point? On day eight, we talked about rebuilding your confidence. Nehemiah knew he had a kingdom-centric purpose, but now he needed to take the first step. When you are grounded in the Spirit and you are grounded in God's Word, His truth, your confidence will grow, and you'll be able to turn your ambition into action. If you remember possibly being at that week on week number two, give yourself another point there. On day 15, we talked about rebuilding your team. Nehemiah couldn't do this alone, and neither can you. Who is on your team? and whose team are you on? If you remember that week about teamwork, give yourself a point. On day 22, Mandy preached about rebuilding your resolve. Your kingdom-centric purpose is going to come under attack. Some people are going to be against you, but that doesn't have to be the end of your story. As we rely upon God, he will build our resolve. We can be resilient people in the middle of opposition. If you remember being here that week, give yourself a point. On day 29, we had missionary Jenny Keating was here with us, and she talked about rebuilding your community. We do not live in isolation. We live in communities. And if we want to see God bless our communities, we need to be instruments of justice and compassion in the areas that God has given us influence. If you remember being here with Jenny Keating, give yourself a point. On day 36, Pastor Tonto was here, and he was with us, and he talked about rebuilding your commitment, your commitment to God and your commitment to his word. Without God's word, we're all just making it up as we go along. Our commitment to God's word is our foundation. If you remember being here with Pastor Tonto, give yourself a point. And then on day 43, which was last week, Manny talked about rebuilding your priorities. When we mourn, when we worship, and when we celebrate, we are setting our lives in order, prioritizing the things we mourn, the things we worship, and the things we celebrate. If you were here last week, give yourself a point. And then here's the freebie. Today is day 50. If you're here, 
give yourself a point. And here's how the game works. So now you have a number in your head, somewhere between one and eight. I was actually not here one week, so my number is seven. And so we're gonna clap our hands in rhythm. I don't know if this is gonna work. And you're gonna clap with me the amount of your score. So if you just clapped, if you were just here tonight, and this is your first night, welcome, don't be ashamed. And then you can just clap once with me. If you're here all eight, you clap eight times. You ready? Here we go. Ready, set, go. Whoa, okay, someone clapped nine times. <laughs> so next week we're gonna preach about lying. Um, okay, so, so why, why does all of this matter? It matters because God's word matters. And as we study his word, you have the opportunity to pair right thinking, knowing his word, with a right heart. And when you pair right thinking with a right heart, you will see transformation in your life. That is our prayer for life together. And that is my prayer for you tonight as we lean into God's word to study it and to allow our hearts to be transformed by it. Will you turn in your Bibles tonight to Nehemiah chapter 13? You can look in your Bible apps. You can look on the screen and follow along with us. I'm using the New Living Translation, the NLT translation of the Bible. Nehemiah 13, verse 6 through 9 says this, I was not in Jerusalem at that time, for I had returned to King Artaxerxes of Babylon in the 32nd year of his reign, though I later asked his permission to return. When I arrived Back in Jerusalem, I learned of Eliashib's evil deed in providing Tobiah with a room in the courtyards of the temple of God. I became very upset and threw all of Tobiah's belongings out of the room. Then I demanded that the rooms be purified. I brought back the articles for God's temple, the grain offerings, and the frankincense. Can we pray as we get started into God's word tonight? Father, we thank you. You have not left us alone in the dark. You have given us your word. And I pray, Lord, that as tonight, as we lean into your word, that your Holy Spirit would be active and moving in this room. Allow us to hear you. Allow us to be changed by the power of your word and the ministry of your Holy Spirit. We need you. We can't do this by ourselves. Speak to us tonight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, there's a little bit to caught up on, but I think we can do it kind of quickly, because last week we were in chapter 11, and we were kind of going to jump into 13, but I need to tell you what's in 12. So in chapter 12, it's kind of the wrap-up of everything we talked about last week, all of the celebrations at the end of the wall being completed. They had gone through all of these services. There was a time of mourning. There was a time of rejoicing, and they kind of wrapped all of that in a nice bow at the end of Nehemiah chapter 12. At the end of Nehemiah Nehemiah chapter 12, everything is going really, really good. If Nehemiah chapter 12 was the end of a Disney princess movie, it would just end with, and they lived happily ever after. But there's a problem. It doesn't end with chapter 12. There's a chapter 13. And in chapter 13, I need you to warn you, things get really messy. If I had my way, every Disney princess movie would end with, and then they both went to marriage counseling. <sighs> Because there's not always a fairy tale ending. The girl went through some stuff. There's gonna be some PTSD from the dragon. Like there's gonna like their parents are dead. So like there's a lot, there's a lot to work through. 
And in real life, stories don't often end in really clean, compact ways. And Nehemiah is a really great example of that because things don't end pretty at the end of 12. We turn into 13. And then in chapter 13, in the last chapter of the book of Nehemiah, things are going to get messy. When you turn that page from 12 to 13, about 12 years go by. So some time has passed. I want you to jump back with me in your life 12 years ago. Where were you at? What was your life like 12 years ago? It was 2010. I had zero children. And a lot has changed. I think 12 years can go by rather quickly. And so I imagine if they go quickly for us, it probably went fairly quickly for Nehemiah. Nehemiah had done all of that good work. He had a kingdom-centric purpose. He had gone down to Jerusalem. He had done exactly what he was called to do. Before he left, he set systems and strategies in place so that things would stay in order. He had done a great job rebuilding the walls around the city. And so when his job was completed, he went back to being the cupbearer of the king. He went back to his life because his task was completed. It was done and Nehemiah have hoped something that you might hope after you finish a great project. He might have hoped that things would just stay working, that things would stay in place, and that's not what happened. This is why at the beginning of chapter 13, he starts off with the phrase, I was not in Jerusalem at that time. Can we reread what we open with today? Here's verse 6 through 9. Nehemiah was gone, and here's what happens. I was not in Jerusalem at that time, for I had returned to King Artaxerxes of Babylon in the 32nd year of his reign, though I later asked his permission to return. When I arrived back in Jerusalem, so this is 12 years later, I learned about Eliashib's evil deed in providing Tobiah with a room in the courtyard of the temple of God. Now we need to pause and we need to identify who these two people are, these two men, Tobiah and Eliashib, because one of them we actually know something about. And the first one is Tobiah. And we know him because he has been bothering Nehemiah all through the book of Nehemiah. So in Nehemiah chapter 2, when Nehemiah shows up to rebuild the wall, there's some men who are mocking him as he walks into the city. Tobiah is one of those men. Nehemiah has been bothered by Tobiah from the very beginning. In Nehemiah chapter 4, there are this group of men who are working against him, who are trying to stop his supplies, who are trying to discourage his workers. Tobiah is one of those men. And so Nehemiah has faced this enemy. He leaves for 12 years, and when he comes back in the temple of God, there is someone living there, and there is an ungodly man doing ungodly things. His name is Tobiah, and he is now moved in to the house of God. This is, this is terrible. This is a worst-case scenario. It's really important, too, about the room he's using, because the room he's using was set aside for supplies for the priests. So the people who were supposed to be running the worship service is caring for God's people. They're not able to do what they were supposed to do because their room has now been seized by an ungodly man. The other name that's mentioned in that verse is Eliashib. And Eliashib, we learn, is a family member of Tobiah. So he had used his position and power to manipulate the system and to get this ungodly man to get an apartment inside the church and to clear out the church's stuff. Nehemiah shows back up and he's very, very frustrated. I want to keep reading. I became very upset and threw all of Tobiah's belongings out of the room. Then I demanded that the rooms be purified, and I brought back the articles of God's temple, the grain offerings, and 
the frankincense. Now, chapter 13 is broken up into three sections or three episodes. And we're going to follow that pattern tonight as we name the three reasons why we must keep rebuilding. The reasons why we must keep rebuilding. The first reason is, number one, we all drift from holiness. Every single one of us. Even Nehemiah. It's like rowing a canoe out into the ocean and then trying to stay in exactly the same spot. It cannot be done. You are either moving closer to God or you are drifting away. Holding the same position isn't an option. Nehemiah thought, might have thought to himself, you know, after all of the rebuilding that I had done, after all of the effort that I had put in, I should be able to leave this place alone for 12 years and everything should just hold in place. It didn't work that way for Nehemiah, and I promise you, it's not going to work that way for you. You know, every one of us has a sinful nature, and it is tugging on us. It is pulling us away from righteousness. God has given us the ability to fight against it, but the moment that you stop fighting, the moment that you stop rebuilding, is the moment that you will start being torn down. You know, there are two things that I have in my life to help protect me from drifting away from holiness, things that help me to always be rebuilding and not to drift away. The first thing is the, the voice of the Holy Spirit, his voice in my mind and in my heart, his spirit in my spirit is always whispering to me in the right moments, Dan, keep rebuilding. Dan, the work is not done. Don't give up. Don't quit. Keep at it and keep rebuilding. The second thing I have in my life is my church community, and, and not even just this church, but anyone who's in Christ who is a person who's close to me. So the person on the top of that list for me is my wife, Mandy, and then it's my close friends and my parents and my pastor and my church are all people I have in my life who know the right moment to say, Dan, don't, don't quit now. Don't, don't get lazy. Don't stop. Don't drift. Don't drift away from holiness. Keep rebuilding. The job's not done yet. Keep going and keep rebuilding. I want to encourage you to be those people for the ones that God has placed into your life. I've heard it said it this way before. The most loving thing someone will ever do for you is to confront you in your sin. Whoa. And, and, and why is that the most loving thing? Well, it's the most loving thing because almost always it goes poorly. <laughs> almost always it's very uncomfortable. When you confront someone with their sin, they rarely say thank you. But that love, that affection, that willingness to suffer uh, discomfort for the sake of someone's soul is an act of love, and it says that you are important, that you are valuable to me, and I'm not going to let you drift you know, I, I don't like it any more than you do. I, I don't like it when my wife reminds me of my laziness, my pride, my stubbornness. But, and hopefully she'll do it in a kind and compassionate way, I need her to do that. I need people in my life. I need the voice of the Holy Spirit reminding me, keep rebuilding. Don't stop. Don't give up. Don't back down. Keep rebuilding. 
I mentioned that chapter 13 is broken up into three sections or three episodes. And at the end of each section, Nehemiah closes it out with a prayer. And here's the first one in verse 14. Remember this good deed, oh my God, and do not forget all that I have faithfully done for the temple of my God and its services. This prayer, Nehemiah is saying, God, I am giving you my full effort. I do not want to see Israel drift from holiness. And tonight, to my friends, I say, I do not want to see you drift from holiness. I want to hold on to you, and I want you to hold on to me, that no one would fall, that no one would drift. We would not stop. We won't back down. We're going to keep rebuilding. The next section transitions into another episode of problems, of messy problems that Nehemiah encounters when he comes back to Jerusalem. Again, he's been gone for 12 years, and even though everything was in great shape, it didn't stay that way. Nehemiah verses 15 through 16 says this, in those days, I saw men of Judah treading out their wine presses on the Sabbath. They were also bringing in grain, loading it in on donkeys, and bringing their wines, grapes, figs, and all sorts of produce to Jerusalem to sell on the Sabbath. So I rebuked them for selling their produce on that day. The Sabbath is a holy day. It is God's mandated day of rest and worship. After Jesus rose from the grave, the early Christian church developed a new habit of choosing Sunday instead of Saturday as that day of worship and of rest. I know that we live in a society that is not always very conducive to worshiping and making that your day of rest on Sunday. I'm thankful that if one of my kid falls and breaks their wrist on a Sunday that someone is working in urgent care on that day. So the, the day might have changed, and it might need to change for your life pattern, but I want to remind you that the ratio does not change. The ratio is one out of seven, is that God has designed your life, he has designed this world to operate with six days of work and one day where we stop, one day where we rest, where we fill our soul, where we worship and we focus on God, the relationships that he has placed close to you, and we make that a priority in that rest. The second reason why we must keep rebuilding is because, number two, we all drift from relationship. Do you remember when Black Friday, like, wasn't as crazy as it became? So, like, like Black Friday shopping the day after Thanksgiving, it's been Black Friday for decades. Um, but there used to be, like, a nicely agreed-upon rule of when the games would start. Like, I remember being a kid, and you'd get the ads that mom would look over, and, you know, Macy's and JCPenney and, you know, remember department stores? And, and they would all open, like, at 6 a.m. or something, and it was all the same time, and it was agreed upon, and it kind of stayed that way. And I was trying to figure out today, like, when that spot changed, because in, in my memory, it was about 10 years ago, where then things started backing up, right? So, like, one corporation said, you know, one retail store said, oh, we're going to open at 5 and they open an hour earlier, and then they get the business that the others are going to lose. And then it kept, like, moving back and back until, like, Black Friday shopping was starting at 5 p.m. on Thursday, which isn't even the right day. Okay, and so I have, I have to confess, I'm not against shopping. Um, there is a TV in my living room that was purchased at a Black Friday sale. It's not really big, but I think I got it for, like, 15 bucks or something. And, um, but what I am against is I am against things that drift into 
our sacred space. So that there's, there's an irony that someone is on their day of thankfulness, on their Thanksgiving table, and they are rushing out and leaving and letting something cut into their thankfulness, and that is a street fight in the middle of Walmart over a, 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 a Nintendo Switch, right? It's like there's, there's, there's a disconnect there of what is drifting, and every one of us will naturally drift in our relationships. If you are not moving forward, you are moving backwards. If you are not rebuilding, your relationships are being torn down. Um, one of the, the people in me and Mandy's lives that are kind of like parenting role models for us is Joanne Jamie Herbst. They're hanging out back there, and I didn't tell them I was going to tell this story. Mandy told me to ask your permission, and if she was preaching, that probably would have happened. So one of the reasons that they're kind of like our parenting role models is because they have four kids. Like, we have four kids, but they're just a couple years ahead of us, and so we can watch them make lots of mistakes and then not make them. Um, I'm kidding. <laughs> but one thing I remember, a conversation I had with Jamie uh, several years back, is our kids were just kind of reaching the age where they were, like, activity-friendly, where they were starting to get all the sign-ups at school for things like sports and music lessons and science camp and dance class and all of these activities. And I, I, remember, I remember asking Jamie, man, you got four kids. Like, how do you do this? Like, how, how do you keep up with this? And Jamie said, well, you know, in, in our family with four boys, we are a one-sport family, and it's baseball. And there has to be boundaries. And so for us, this is a boundary that we found. And so they can do baseball. And I'm sure that Jamie had like a wonderfully designed spreadsheet with all of their schedules and who was on what team and what days were practices, but that there had to be a limitation. So in his family, if one of the boys showed up and said, hey, I would like to join the hockey team, it was just going to be a no. Somewhere in our lives, there has to be these boundaries. If we're not pushing back against it, we're just going to drift, and you will drift away from your relationships. Kids don't grow up and be emotionally angry and resentful for the time they spent with their parents. They become resentful for the time they didn't have with their parents. And so when we prioritize those relationships, we need to be pushing back against that natural drifting your marriage, your relationship with your parent, your child, your best friend, they need to be the most important. And the thing that pushes past that is your relationship with God. It is your relationship with God is foundational. If it is not a priority in your life, every other relationship that you have will suffer. And I do not want my relationship with God to drift. It has to be a priority. And that means that I don't ever stop rebuilding. I always keep moving forward. I always keep going. So after Nehemiah kicks the Black Friday shoppers out of Jerusalem and restores the Sabbath, he wraps up this section with his second prayer. In verse 22, he says this, Remember this good deed also, O my God. Have compassion on me according to your great and unfailing love. Nehemiah says, God, I am giving this my full effort. I do not want to see Israel drift from relationship with you and my friends, I do not want to see you drift from relationship with God. I do not want to see you drift from relationship with the most important relationships in your life. I don't want to see you drift. So keep rebuilding. The third episode starts with the topic of marriage, and I want to warn you that Nehemiah is about to lose his mind. If you thought you have seen him angry before, buckle up because it's going to get a little nuts. So Nehemiah 13 verses 23 through 25 says this, about the same time I realized 
that some of the men of Judah had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Furthermore, half their children spoke the language of Ashdod or of some other people and could not speak the language of Judah at all. So I confronted them and called down curses on them. I beat some of them and pulled out their hair. I made them swear in the name of God that they would not let their children intermarry with the pagan people of that land. <laughs> If you thought you had a crazy neighbor, you should move in next to Nehemiah and see how that goes for you. Now, I'm going to say, if you weren't reading this verse in context, um, I could see how this verse could be perceived as racist. You know, why is Nehemiah so upset about marrying someone of a different culture? Well, it's really important that we understand a little bit about these cultures to know why Nehemiah is so angry that people of Israel are marrying into these other cultures. So the first one he mentioned was Ashdod. Ashdod was a city inhabited by the Philistines. If you remember the Philistines from the battle of David and Goliath, the Philistines worshipped a god named Beelzebub, which, interesting, Jesus actually mentions Beelzebub in Matthew chapter 12. You know, Beelzebub translates as the prince of demons. So I want to imagine that you are married to someone and your wife or husband in your living room has an idol to the prince of demons, is it going to be difficult for you to serve God in that house? Is it going to be difficult for you to raise godly children in that house? The other two cities that are listed is Ammon and Moab, and they are different cities with different religions, but they were both polytheistic, meaning that they were religions that worshiped many different gods, and both included the practice of child sacrifice where when they felt that one of their gods was angry, they would kill one of the children from their own village as a sacrifice. Can you imagine how difficult it would be to serve God being married to someone who supported child sacrifice? This is what's happening in Israel. This is what Nehemiah is so mad about, and he's mad about why they should have already known this. Can I read in verse 26 what he says? As he's explaining his anger, he says, wasn't this exactly what led King Solomon of Israel into sin, I demanded? There was no king from any nation who could compare to him, and God loved him and made him king over all Israel, but even he was led into sin by his foreign wives. Nehemiah says, don't you remember the exile? Don't you remember what happened? We got kicked out of Israel. God turned his back on us because we had turned our back on him. Sin entered into our nation, and we've just spent hundreds of years in exile. How could you have forgotten? And in case you forgot, let me remind you how that happened. We had a godly king, and we had a king named Solomon who was the wisest man to walk the face of the earth, and yet he started marrying foreign wives. He welcomed these other cultures, these sinful cultures, these sinful religions into his home, and that was the beginning of the end. That was when evil began to move into Israel. That's when God began to turn his back on his chosen people, and we got exiled out of this. Israel, I'm, I can't believe you've already forgotten. I can't believe you've already let this go. The third reason why we must keep believing is because, number three, the world is drifting in. You know, I think this passage is about marriage, but I also think it's about a lot more than marriage. I think it's about the groups we associate with. I think it's about the entertainment that we consume. I think it's about the people that closely surround us. Listen, 
if we do nothing, the world will drift in. So don't lower your standards. Don't quit. Rebuild. 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 Nehemiah wraps up this third and final episode with his third and final prayer in verse 29. He says this, Remember them, O my God, for they have defiled the priesthood and, and the solemn vows of the priests and Levites. Remember this in my favor, O my God. Chapter 13 um, is not a walk in the park. It's, it's a messy close. It might have been sweeter to just say, and they all lived happily ever after, but it would not have been true to Scripture because Scripture reads life a lot like it actually is. And life is not always clean, and there is messy that is going to happen in our lives. If you are not rebuilding, you are being torn down. If I was going to pack all this message up into five words, it looks like this. Your work is not over. And, and I, I don't know how that hits you tonight, because to be honest, there are days where someone says your, your work is not over, and I'm just like filled with energy, and so it's like, hey, let me grab something, and let, let, let's get at it. Like, let, let's do this. And there are days where someone says your work is not over, and to be honest, I just feel tired. That there's times where I feel discouraged, there's times where I look at a pile of work or something that needs to be rebuilt, and I'm just exhausted buy it. For us in our house, one of those things is our basement. We have like a small like play area for our children, and you could spend a fortnight cleaning it up and putting every colored Lego piece into the correct bin, and then in like a solid 37 seconds, just everything, like six inches deep of toys. And there are times where my life feels that way, where I'm staring at something that I had just completed, that I had just put so much effort into it, and it won't stay in place. It keeps calling to me, rebuild, rebuild, rebuild. And here's the joy of salvation. The joy of salvation is that when I see the task and when I feel so incomplete to finish that task myself, my Savior leans in and he says, great, you don't have to do it by yourself. You know, Jesus promised us, he said that he has overcome the world, that Jesus is above all of those things, that when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, when he bled, though he was perfect, though he had never made every mistake that you and I have made, when he gave his life for us, that his price, his purchase, his life was the receipt for our souls. And he said, I, I've conquered it all. I have done it all. It's all completed. It's all won. It's all finished by my work. And so when you stare at that pile of work in front of you, when you stare at the relationships in your life that need to be rebuilt, when you stare at your personal habits that need to be rebuilt, when you stare at the relationships that need to be rebuilt in your life, I need to remind you that Jesus has overcome the world. He has done it all. And if you feel empty, if you feel discouraged by the work that's in front of you, I wanna encourage you tonight to take heart your Savior is with you. He is on your side. And with him, there is nothing that can't be rebuilt. There is nothing that can't be restored. Our God is a reconciler. He is a master at putting things that look too broken to fix 
back together. He is a master at gluing relationships back together without a scar. He is so good at it. Trust in him, be encouraged, and have faith. God wants to see your habits, your life, and your relationships rebuilt in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father, we give you praise tonight. We, we open ourselves to you. We, uh, we reveal to you our, our brokenness. There is nothing that we can hide from you. So why play the game? You see us. You see the areas in our life that are incomplete. You see the brokenness. You see the things that have been deconstructed. And I pray, Lord, that tonight you would once again give us your spirit. Give us your strength. Remind us of the good work that your son has done that we can, with him, overcome the world. It can all be done, and we can see your kingdom come here on earth just as it is in heaven. I pray for every individual in this room. I pray, Lord, that you would allow each one of us to leave this place seen, that we are not walking into a room and escaping it unnoticed, that you have seen each one of us. You know everything it is that we are carrying with us on our shoulders tonight, and you have come to us with the promise that your burden is light and that we can cast our cares upon you. We can lean on you. We can place our stress and our anxiety and our frustration and our depression on you. We can load it off that you would carry us and you would be the Savior that you have promised to be. We love you. We thank you for the community of this church. We thank you for the good things that you are doing in us and through us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we get to see you in person. You are invited to join us on Wednesday evenings here at Oak Creek Assembly of God. We are a church that exists to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Find us online at oakcreekag.org.